Unfortunately for Stallone, Tulsa King is no Yellowstone. The crime drama of an old gangster forced to move from New York to Oklahoma by his bosses is a mess, with moments so poorly written they're cringeworthy. It's part half-hearted western, part fish-out-of-water comedy, and part mob movie knockoff with bad wigs and worse accents. It's all a bit embarrassing, to be honest. Outstanding blurb from Kelly Lawler of USA Today, crushing our feature review of Tulsa King. I watched all nine episodes of this show, which is available on Paramount Plus, from Taylor Sheridan, who is very, very busy these days. The ubiquitous Taylor Sheridan. Cody's watched three episodes so far, so we'll dive into that. Plus, one of my favorite shows as a kid, Night Court is back. Yes, the reboot with the great John Larroquette, four-time Emmy Award winner. I'll let you know about the five episodes I've seen so far. And Clean and Sober, in honor of Two Leslie, one of the great stories about addiction you'll ever see, Oscar nominated by Andrea Riseborough. I went back in the archives and said, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? Of course, the Flash trailer premiered during Super Bowl. Oof. Awesome to see Keaton back Goose as Batman. Bumps. But a film I've never seen Michael Keaton's I've always wanted to see playing a drug addict. It's called Clean and Sober, 35th anniversary. I finally watch it this week as we continue our Michael Keaton love fest. And one more with the Oscars a month away. All That Breathes is our new film this week. That's a documentary about two brothers in New Delhi taking care of a couple of birds. Curious little documentary, uh, once again, which is Oscar nominated. Thanks, as always, for checking out the podcast. I appreciate all of you. Please go to Apple Podcasts, subscribe, rate, and review. I checked. We have had some new reviews there lately. For a while, there was nobody listening to me. So thank you to all those who have posted (laughs) reviews and January. I saw a bunch of fresh ones there, so that's very, very kind of you. Uh, And as always, thanks to all those who support the pod. Uh, Moving forward, next week we'll have a review of Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, a new Paul Rudd film in theaters this week. Again, Scott Rogowski coming up in a couple weeks. He's got his new documentary on CNN coming back. And before we move forward, let's look back. Joshua Seftel, thanks again. I hope everyone checks out his documentary, Stranger at the Gate. He was our guest last week on Cinephile. My friend Mark Simon, unaware of what happened to our mosque in Connecticut, so if you're really inclined and want to support my work, you can check out my TED Talk I did. It's called Forgiveness and the face of discrimination. I did it back in 2017. Uh, if you can do a quick Google search, you can find it. Uh, that was the story of what happened to us in Connecticut, uh, a Marine shooting at our mosque and uh, what happened uh, after that. So if you want to check that out, you can do that as well. Which brings the question this, Cody, are TED Talks still a thing? Because at the time, my friend Kostin was like, listen, you got to tell the story. We're going to get you a TED Talk. Now, I'll be honest, I flew to DC. I was pretty pumped up. I'm like, oh my God, I'm doing a TED Talk. But if you Google it, and I encourage everyone again to watch it, 10 minutes long, Forgiveness in the Face of Discrimination, it's a TEDx talk, which I remember thinking, that's like AAA baseball. I don't know if it's a true TED talk. It is a TEDx talk. Are they still a thing? The real peak was right when you did it, though. You hit it at the peak. I feel like 17, 18. I, you're not hearing as much about it these days, but they're still a thing, man. They're still a thing. I feel like if somebody said, I'm doing a TED talk, you'd be like, what? I'm sorry, what are you. But it just feels about very five years ago. But that it's, was the, and that it's was also the very like I've always thought of if I'm hearing someone giving a TED talk, it's a little there's a little there's some arrogance in the room. I'm not saying like yours sounds like very moving and meaningful. Like right. there can be there can be different kinds of TED talk. But you sure. just say the word TED. You just say you. the phrase TED talk, and I think this guy's way too like I, I think right. Malcolm Gladwell is giving a TED talk. <laughs> That's like what I like if you just say yes. TED talk to me. That's true. If you put it in your Twitter bio, I've given seven TED talks. Okay, it's, this guy's. Exactly. He's a real buzzkill. <laughs> I'd love to see if Stu Gotts did a TED Talk. Like That would be <laughs> fantastic. I think that would be great. I want to start Fred Talks. <laughs> the opposite of a TED Talk. Yeah. It's, it's not actually informed. It's not learned. It's a complete waste of time. But it's, it's quite Oh, my it's God, minutes. dude. I'm going to pitch that to Metal Arc. I'm going to bleep out Fred Talks. So Fred Talks from now on. Um, <laughs> by the way, I have to call you Sandman. I, for those who haven't listened to the show, Chris Cody, from now oh, yeah. on. We're not a big nicknames here on the Cinefile, but I'm calling you Sandman from now on. You're selling Tom Brady's sand. I, was, I really... I, I, 
couldn't have been more full of shit with that. <laughs> and they called me. I, I was like, I wanted to do a bit about selling the sand that that lady was selling. And I thought it was in Tampa. Like, you have to go back and listen to that. That was yeah. That was honestly me at my peak right there. Because I, I did a bit that was ill-informed. And then I just improved my way out of it. The fact that you left. And at one point, Dan even said, he goes, this isn't really playing well for radio or audio. But I'm like, I could just picture you in the sand. You're checking out. He wanted you buried in the sand doing your hit. <laughs> I mean, you should have been at the Super Bowl, but I mean, whatever. You're still, still making it work with Mike Ryan and the gang, so it was yeah. still it was very entertaining. Uh, speaking yeah. of the Super Bowl, I, I'm not going to give my whole Eagles conversation. Oof. Obviously, I'm, I'm pissed and depressed and all the rest of it. I thought the best comment, I've listened to everyone's comments, obviously. My friend Michael Lombardi, of course, we did the GM Shuffle for a couple of years, however long it was. He's still doing it, does an awesome job. I thought Mike made the best point. I was listening to it today. He was, because, you know, the solid conversation about the penalty, blah, 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 and I, I'll make it real simple. We didn't lose because the penalty. We lost because our defense wasn't very good. And Mike yeah. nailed the stat. He goes, the Eagles give up 0.71 points per play. And he goes, to give you an example, a good football team normally gives up 0.3 or 0.4. He goes, that's that's twice as much as they were giving up. And think yeah. of how much we dominated time of possession in that first half. Like Mahomes and the Chiefs had the ball two minutes in the second quarter. And then every single time they had the ball in the second half, they scored. So that's what we lost. The defense couldn't make one stop, one sack, one uh, pick, one fumble. We had a fumble, and that cost us seven points. You know, they had a missed field goal. Like, th- this is why we lost. But... Back to what we care about here on the Cinephile Pocket. Go ahead, make your one football. Well, play. I would just I just want to say that shout out to James Bradbury and Nick Sirianni for being about as classy as you could yeah. be in their post-game comments. Both of them saying exactly like Bradbury being like, I yeah, held. It was a hold. And Nick, yeah. and Nick Sirianni being like, a lot of plays in the game. Like, it's just, although the narrative is still out there because it's 2023 and we're going to just have hot takes about everything, it was just really cool to see the people in it just be as classy as possible. Yeah, I completely agree, actually. And I thought that was one of the headlines you see the next day. It's like they asked him, and he's like, yeah, it was a hold. I held him. I hoped, I thought I would get away with it, but, you know, it is what it is. And my wife said, we shouldn't have said anything. I'm like, what do you mean? Everyone's going to ask. The first question is, James, was it a hold? I'm, like, oh, yeah. I'm not going to comment. Either he says, which he did, which I like, is honest and honorable, and maybe the refs look out from here and there. Like, yeah, a couple of cheap calls. Okay, Bradbury's a good dude. Or he publicly lambastes them and looks like a poor sport and – Again, refs have memories, man. Like they'll, they'll screw them at some point in a pivotal play. Maybe even not. Let's suppose that doesn't happen. Let's suppose the refs are honorable. At the very least, it looks like a poor sport. Like, dude, make make yeah. a play. And that's that's why you would have won the game. Like, not because of one cheap call. Like, otherwise, look at a poor sport. Now, having said all of that, yeah, Dan Orlovsky pointed out zero defensive holding calls that entire game. Yeah, and that's the one that's like I gotta it, it, when you when you see the replay with the context of they let them play all game. Yeah, that part made me go back a little bit, but I still just appreciate Nick Sirianni and the way he handled it. I agree, very classy. Seems a little ticky tack. Oh no, I definitely think it was a questionable call. Like I think it was a ticky tack call. I wouldn't have called it then, but by the letter of the law, was it a hold? Yeah, but it's yeah. like going sixty nine and a sixty five. Like it, it's, I was speeding, right. but like seriously, we're gonna let this go. And right. here's and why it gets so annoying is that you go, what if? There's so many, so many what ifs, right? If they stop in their third and eight, they kick the field goal. It's a minute forty eight for the Eagles to score. I mean, at the very least, get a field goal. You tie it, go to overtime. Maybe you score a touch. And you win, but again, there's so many what ifs. Who knows yeah. what these examples? The point is, for here for Cinephile, you don't care about my football analysis. What you're curious about <laughs> is what ended up happening because I told you all my plan was to go to Old City. So, what we ended up doing was this we went to because my buddy Rob Lemley goes, Hey, my buddy Brian's a huge Eagles fan. Uh, again, to go back in case you haven't listened to the last few episodes, originally I said, I'm going to go to Philadelphia, I want to be in the city when the Eagles win or lose a Super Bowl. Cody correctly pointed out. 
well, why don't you just go to a New York bar, which is a Philadelphia-type theme? That's the way to go. I talked to Kevin Nagandi, foremost Philadelphia sports fan, who was there with his wife and three kids in Arizona. The guy's a maniac. I love him. He <laughs> said, don't go to Philadelphia. He's from Phoenixville, Pennsylvania. He goes, don't go to Philadelphia. I like the New York idea. He goes, go to New York. Because he goes, dude, Philadelphia gets dangerous with the kids. He goes, there could be rides. Like, just stay there. We go to, again, Lem recommends. His buddy Brian goes, this is the spot. Old city. There's two places they have. One is at Madison and 25th. Another one's in the Midtown, 42nd. My buddy John Fisher, foremost Eagles fan, CBS head of research, watched the game at his mother-in-law's in Florida, which is another long story. Fish <laughs> checks it out for me. He goes, I'll scout it out for you. He goes to 42nd. I checks it out. He goes, hey, they're not doing anything special for the game. First come, first serve. But, like, it's pretty small. He goes, if I were you, I, I, I mean, it's cool, but, like, it's small. I'm like, okay. So I said, I'm going to go to the other place. He goes, yeah, probably go to, go to Madison Abbey. That might be a little bit bigger. Get there, 2.30, four hours for kickoff. Walk in, no lineup outside. That's a good sign. I walk in. I'm like, oh, a bunch of Eagles fans. Reggie White jersey, Cunningham. I'm like, all right, good. Yeah, perfect. You know when you walk into a place and you're not in the right spot. Bartender took one look, and he was just like, nobody under 21. And I have a 6-year-old and an 11-year-old with me. Oh. And used to 14 in the car waiting. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah, just, just today. Like, no, nobody under, under 21. I was like, wow. Okay, um, well, can I just use the bathroom? Because the dean's like, I gotta use the bathroom. I'm like, no, 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 use the bathroom. Hey, guys, soak it up. Look around. Hey, isn't it cool? You see <laughs> Philly stuff everywhere. Hey, look, there's, there's that guy's eating a cheese stick. This is great. Okay, and then Yusuf comes out. I go, hey, he goes, I wanna use the bathroom too. I'm like, oh, right, you go use the bathroom. Okay, we'll come back. And I go, all right, real quick vote here, guys. We can go to the other one. There's another location, but it's probably gonna be the same thing. Or we can find a different place. And then the guy goes, hey, 53rd and second, go there. Or, and I think this is where you guys are going to lean, 99 cent pizza, and let's just go home. Unanimous vote, 99 pizza, we went home. <laughs> Two large pizzas, three drinks, $20.50. You will not oh. find a better deal in New York City. Home by 4 o'clock, watch Super Bowl, it was great. <laughs> ah, so that's the, so you got a little best of both worlds. You got a little taste, a little Tech- taste. Texas Fish, who felt horrible, he goes, dude, I, I, the place I went to, I asked about kids. They said, just no kids at the bar. I go, this guy was not messing around. I walked in. He goes, no kids under the age of 21. I go, all right, there's our answer. And by the way, there's a, a couple of people who tweeted. My cousin was like, hey, not sure if you're allowed kids in restaurants, bar. So we have our answer. But ultimately, it I worked think, out. I think you should have uh, busted out your MOB badge. Well, you know who I am, sir? <laughs> That's I think what my Adnan wife Ver- had said all along. Adnan Verk's allowed right. to bring kids in here. I'll tell you right. that much. That's what my wife had said. She goes, I don't understand how you're not trying to pull rank here. I go, nobody knows who I am. Nobody cares. She goes, ah, never know. It's, it would line. be a fun story for the podcast if you said, I'm Adnan Verk, and he's like, I don't know who the fuck you are. <laughs> it's a, who? I, I yeah. couldn't care less. Like, what, I, I, what, what does that mean? Dan Levitard, Metal Arc Media. Never heard yeah. of him. Okay. I don't like baseball. I don't like hockey. Okay, well. Moonlight nice won best picture. No? Yeah. I mean, I know geez. anything? No? Have you heard anything? <laughs> College football? Jesse Palmer's a friend of mine? No idea. Don't know who you're talking about. Okay, fair enough. Anyways, let's uh, let's dive into some TV and movie talk here. Uh, Tulsa King, interesting concept here for a program. Following his release from prison, Mafia Capo Dwight, the General Man Freddy, is exiled to Tulsa, Oklahoma, where he builds a new criminal empire. The group of unlikely characters. I mentioned Taylor Sheridan's everywhere. Now I know everyone loves Yellowstone. Everyone listening loves Yellowstone. I don't watch Yellowstone. I watched one episode. I was bored. It's just not my jam. Kind of like Game of Thrones. Not my jam. But I know Taylor Sheridan. Everyone loves him. He's got 1923. He's got 1888. Right. He's got a Sam Elliott show. He's got a Harrison Ford show. He's got Tulsa King. He's got Jeremy. Uh, Who's our guy here? Almost died. Jeremy Renner. He's got Renner, a show. Yeah, yeah. Mary of Yorktown. So like Taylor Sheridan's the guy now. Like, oh my god, he's like he's like David E. Kelly. You put his name on a show, bam. Uh, unfortunately, I'd like him to do a show that I think is actually really good, and that's not Tulsa King. Now, here's the thing: that review is pretty scathing, and I, I I like a good entertaining scathing review from Kelly Lawler. But the best thing I can tell you about Tulsa King is it's not that bad. It's not that good, but it's watchable. 
As Chris has said, he's seen three episodes so far. I power through all nine episodes because I love mobsters and I love mob elements. Maybe I'm just more predisposed to enjoying something like this. And I do like Sylvester Stallone. Obviously, he's got presence. He's a movie star. But the review pretty much nailed it. It's just poorly written. And it's just, it is literally taking that fish out of water concept about as hard as you can. Like New York, tough guy gangsters, Tulsa, Oklahoma, where they got cowboy music and a guy who smokes weed and he bullies up to that guy and all of a sudden he's now money laundering. And, you know, they're really kind of leading into that as much as they can, the whole New York to Oklahoma thing. But listen, most episodes are like 37, 38 minutes. It's a decent time waster. It looks well. It's well shot. Stallone, whether or not you think he's a good actor or not, and that's another conversation we can have, he does have presence. I mean, the whole thing we're watching, I'm like, this is 75-year-old Sylvester Stallone in a television show. He does have presence. But ultimately, it's a middling review for me. Cody, what do you think of it so far? I think that you, you hit the nail on the head. I think it's a perfect premise for Sylvester Stallone. Like, I buy that he is who they're telling me who he is. And, you know, he's the guy that looking around. He's been in jail 25 years, so he's looking around, and people are in VR stuff. The stop sign is, like, electric now. So it's like he's, like, kind of, like, coming to terms with technology. But overall, I agree with you. It's I'm watching it, and I'm not hating it, but I'm also, like, uh, these people could just call the cops on him. It's 2023. <laughs> like he's doing these things where he's walking into stores and he's just like, you pay me now. And they're like, all right. And it's just like, why don't they call the cops when he leaves and tell him, hey, some guy just like, I, it's yeah. a little unrealistic that in this day and age that he could just walk into all these establishments and get 20% of their profit. Yeah. But um, other than that, I'm kind of like you, even though I'm criticizing it, I'm kind of into it at the same time. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's watchable. But I'm with you, that whole premise of, like, he basically gets to town. Young black guy picks him up. All of a sudden, you're my driver, okay? Yeah. You're my guy. I'm paying you $1,000 a week, sure, even though you know I'm a mobster. And then, as I yeah. said, he just, he just happens to spot a weed store, goes in there, busts it up, and then tells the guy... Somehow gets him to see his safe where he has hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay, great. This guy's How a much is in there? And, yeah, five hundred k. I'm taking twenty percent. Yeah, all of a sudden, that, like, and what? then the guy's like, the guy's like, that's all you're taking? Oh, yeah. Wow. Thanks. He's like, wow. I thought I was gonna get robbed. He's like, no, but I'm offering protection. I'm like, okay, well, these are definitely old school concepts. Yeah. For, <laughs> what, what exactly you bring to the table? Then of course you know you gotta get a, a, a subplot in here involving a little bit of love action. So you got the FBI agent who falls for Sylvester, doesn't realize who he is, doesn't know who he is. Oh, my God, no. He's sleeping with the enemy. Got the whole ah. law enforcement angle. So that's that's about as tried and true from that playbook as well. But, uh, yes, some, ham-handedly written. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, there's just some times where you're like, oh, he just said that, huh? God. Some groaners <laughs> of some lines. Which is, it's always amazing to think about Sylvester Stallone. He is the ultimate better-than-yourself actor. For those who don't know the story of Rocky, he writes the script and then... You know, United Artists was going to do it, but they said, we'll buy the script for someone else. And he said, no, the only way this will get made is if I get to play the lead. I get to play Rocky. It's my script. It's my story. So he bets on himself. Of course, Rocky becomes one of the greatest underdog stories ever. Is made for, let's say, $4 million, made hundreds of millions of dollars, spawns all these sequels, etc. But like, his true gift was as a writer. Everyone said the script was amazing. It was a great script on its own merit. They're like, who's this Sylvester Stallone guy? Like, this is a hell of a script. And then instead, if you look at his career, you never would think of him as a writer. You think of Rambo and all the action movies he's done. But at his heart, you would think of him as a writer. And yet, as you noted, he's given up some groaners of lines over the years. <laughs> and in fact, my main reason for even watching the show, if you're wondering, why the hell was I watching Tulsa King? Well, Terrence Winter is the co-writer. And so, of course, if you're a Sopranos fan, you know Terry Winter. David Chase is the creator and the main head writer. But Terrence Winter wrote, I'm going to say, at least 13 Sopranos episodes. Like, he's awesome. He did Boardwalk Empire, Steve Buscemi show. So anything with, like, gangsters... Terrence Winter, co uh, he wrote Wolf of Wall Street. So, like, I know Terrence Winter is going to give me some mob stuff. Like, I'm like, no, he's, he's my guy for the mob stuff. They even sit in the Sopranos show meetings. They'd have certain guys who do the family stuff. Tony 
Tony and his daughters, Terrence Winter, all the mob stuff. Like, no, Terry knows that world well. So I'm like, all right, Tulsa King, Terry Winter, everyone loves Taylor Sheridan, Sylvester Stallone. And instead, what I'm watching is like a whole lot of, meh, couple of Maple Leafs. If you're really bored, you can watch it. And they don't really explain why they send him to Tulsa. The, way, the reason they send him to Tulsa is because he's there's a New York. He's part of the mob in New York, but he right. gets out of jail after 25 years, and they don't have room for him. They've moved on, so they're like, "We're going to keep you in the family, but we're sending you to Tulsa." It doesn't seem like there's any connection there right. to Tulsa. It seems like they just picked the city. Like, could he have gone anywhere? Right. It was just weird how like why Tulsa. Like, there's no connection of why they chose Tulsa. Right, of all it's just these wide cities. open. We want, we want to start to break new ground there. Like, but why? Like, what is in Tulsa? There has to be yeah. something there. Why would you just pick that? Oh. Uh, enough guys in Vegas already. We're going to try Tulsa. Okay, go to yeah. Oklahoma. Um, supporting cast of guys you'll know from Mob Shows. Dominic Lombardozzi, you know, from The Wire, who's wearing yep. an unbelievable hairpiece. Like, the whole oh. time, like, this guy's hair is awesome. Spoiler alert, eventually that hairpiece is going to come off. But while watching the show, he goes, that, yeah, that's him. That's Dominic Lombardozzi with a hairpiece playing chicken. Vincent, Vincent Piazza, Vincent the guy Piazza's from always, Boardwalk yeah. Empire. That, yes. That's where I know that guy from. So this is how Piazza, I go, this guy's awesome. And he's playing. Because he's my shit. I want to kill. I want to kill. I want to kiss guy killed. Yeah, yeah. Him and Stallone have a big fight there. He gets his jaw wired <laughs> I don't, shut. Don't spoil it. I'm only three in. But yeah, okay, right fine. now he's Vincent's like, I want his head. I want his head. How about Max Casella? He was in The Wonder Years. He plays Amanda Truisi. I don't know if you've seen him yet, but he's yeah. also an actor. People know his face. So Dwight right. Man Freddy. That's a Tulsa King. Check it out right now on Paramount+. Plus. A couple of the reviews here. Richard Roper, Chicago Sun-Times. The result is the perfect marriage of actor and material. With Stallone relying on his trademark formula of charisma, intimidating physicality, and clever dialogue uttered in a low, often self-deprecating growl. There, there is some humor in there. I'll give him the self-deprecating growl. But Is it I'm, intended? Is it intended humor? No, or is I, it just because he's like, oh. I'm saying some shit in Tulsa. No, I think there's a couple like, like kind of tongue-in-cheek <laughs> jokes here and there, but I, I that's a pretty – I can't agree with Richard on the fact it's clever dialogue. That seems like a reach <laughs> to me. I wouldn't call it clever. It's pretty obvious to me. Uh, Lucy Mangan in The Guardian, it knows exactly what it has to work with and doesn't threaten to frighten anyone with innovative tricks or boundary pushing. That, that seems pretty accurate. You know what you're getting when you're watching Tulsa King on Paramount+. Plus. Next up, I thought I knew what I was getting when it came to Night Court, one of my favorite shows as a kid. John Larroquette, as good as it gets, four-time Emmy Award winner for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, the guy is unbelievable. Like You think of John Larroquette, I think of Dan Fielding, one of the great characters of the 80s. I think of him being the bad guy in Richie Rich. Well, he wasn't Richie Rich. 1994 <laughs> film as well. I, I Listen, Larroquette's done some, the practice he was in, played a lawyer there. Always plays a lot of lawyers, though, because he's got that deep voice. He's very oh, yeah. tall. He's like six foot four, six foot five. Believe a New Orleans guy, but has a musical background, which one of the first things about Nightcore, you always think of the theme song, which is so great. I watched him on um, Seth Meyers last week, and he said his son is a musician. He came up with the rebooted music to the theme song. It's, it's not nearly as long. And if you watch TV today, the theme songs are like 20 seconds. Back in the day, it was like a minute. So it's a very condensed version. And it's a little more you know, kind of upbeat, but I still love the fact they've got the theme song in there, if, which is great. If you're, if you're all in with that guy being the actor that looks like a lawyer, I, my hand would be Victor Garber. Oh, yeah, Victor, Canadian. Yeah, from Alias. Yeah, Victor, the late Victor Garber, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Oh, really? He passed away? Uh, double check. If not, he's, he's close. The guy, who, the guy who designed the Titanic. Yeah, no, Victor Garber's awesome. He definitely looks like a lawyer. He's got that sneer about him. Him and James Rapport is another one. Yeah. He looks like a lawyer. Um, so Larroquette is obviously a great, great actor. He's still, still with us. Okay, Victor Garber's not dead yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Good job, How, Victor. 75, though, right? He's going to be close. He's 73. 73. Okay. Larroquette's yeah. 75. And Larroquette looks great. I mean, my wife was like, oh, he's put on some weight. I go, the guy's 75 years old, for God's sakes. What do you think? He's not like he's lean Dane Fielding anymore. But yeah. Night Court at its best was so irreverent and so funny and just so ridiculous. And it really 
leaned into strongly physical comedy. Like if you watched that show in the 80s, there was always some outrageous physical stunt being done. And the whole cast was tremendous. The late Harry Anderson, who I can't confirm is dead, playing Harry Stone, the judge. <laughs> Marky Post, who was amazing as Dan Fielding's opponent lawyer. She's also dead. Charles Robinson playing Mac. Fantastic. Uh, Roz is around. And we've also got, don't forget, Richard Mull as Bull Shannon. Like the original Night Court cast, I mean, you're talking about some strong players all over the place. Now, Bull didn't do a whole lot besides the fact he just looked unusual. He was a tall, bald guy. His name was Bull. But, I mean, when you think of the fact, like three of those people are dead. Charles Robinson, Marky Post, Harry Anderson. Bull's still around. I looked it up. I don't know how he's not in the show because Richard Mull, who plays Bull Shannon, is like 80 years old. So I'm hoping he gets a cameo at some point. Maybe they just couldn't pay him enough money. But you've only got one returning cast member in Lara Kett, even though you've got two other surviving members still around. Regardless, the point is this. How are they going to update it? How are they going to change it? Lara Kett, who is known as this amazing like very, you know, sexually perverted, driven lawyer. That was always his thing, right? Sex toys, all this stuff, hookers, et cetera, hanging out in New York, slimy, and yet so funny and so entertaining. Well, now he's older. Apparently he had a wife we didn't realize. I mean, it's been 30 years now, passage of time. Wife has passed away. He's mellowed. So the new judge comes in. That's Harry Anderson's daughter, played by Melissa Rauch. She shows up. She tries to rope Larroquette back. Dan Fielding has to go back to Night Court. Instead of now, as a prosecutor, he's a defense attorney. Which, as I mentioned it to Harold Reynolds, he goes, how could they not make him a judge? Like, the guy was a prosecuting attorney 30 years ago. They're rebooting the show, and now he's a defense lawyer? Like, dude, like, he should be the judge. I go, he really should be the judge, but this is what they're doing. Harry Stone's a judge. Just name-dropping Harold Reynolds. I love it. Love Harold. And for a show that I'd be so excited about because it's Nightcore, it's been just a terrible disappointment, which calls to mind a couple of things. Maybe the show just always wasn't great, but I was nine years old, so I thought it was great. Like, maybe if I rewatched Nightcore from the 80s, it wouldn't be that much better. But I tend to think no. I tend to think that was a great cast and a very funny show. And this is an updated cast, which isn't nearly as talented. And it's just not nearly as funny. And it, it, it really lacks that physical element. That's the biggest thing. Again, the, the Night Court at its, at its apex always had some great physical comedy and over-the-top broad humor from all of their actors. Now it's not. It's a little bit more subtle and it's a little bit more bland and it's just not as funny. And it's just even weird watching a show with a laugh track. I mean, I, I don't watch any sitcoms, so it's just rare to me to be able to go back and watch a sitcom with the actually have a laugh track. Yeah, exactly. It's just, just so canned, which again, I don't have an issue with because it, it does feel nostalgic. Anybody watching this show is doing it for nostalgia. I can't imagine there's a lot of 16 year olds going, hey, let's check out this new show, Night Court. It's all old people. And to that, to that point, how about the ratings? It's all old people. The update of NBC's 1980s, 90s sitcom open with a bang, drawing its biggest same-day audience for a network, 7.55 million viewers since fall of 2017. That's the best in five years. Night Court also posted solid growth in its first three days of delayed viewing across all platforms. The series debut moved up to 10.2 million viewers, a 35% jump, and grew by 63% in the key ad demographic of, of adults 18 to 49, going from a 0.98 to 1.6. Nostalgia sells. Night Court a hit. I was in New York City when, when I went to the 99 cent pizza. I'm like, I see Night Court ads on the bus. I'm like, yes. So I'm thrilled Night Court is back. I'm thrilled for Lara Kett. I just wish it was a better show. Something like that will do well because because people want to check it out, but it's like, yeah. do you come back for the next one is the, the yeah, real I mean, I, I'm still watching it just because I love Lara Kep, but I mean, I haven't laughed once. I mean, there hasn't been one <laughs> laugh out loud. I don't even know if I'm smiling the whole time. Any I, chuckles? No, well, my wife's <laughs> on the phone the whole time. I go, can you just watch this? She goes, no, it's boring. Here's a couple of reviews for you. Ben Travers of IndieWire. There's too much order in this night court. He nailed it, which never becomes as weird or wild as its premise demands, making its case for relevance too easily dismissed. Clever and accurate. Good job, Ben. 
Kristen Baldwin of Entertainment Weekly. Nightcore continues to exist in a world where accused flashers wear trench coats with nothing underneath, which is weird, but also kind of sweetly nostalgic. And the theme song still slaps. Okay, that's great, but the song's 30 seconds. That can't validate a 22-minute show. And Bill Goody Kuntz of Arizona Republic. Mostly it's a weird little show. Not quite sure what it wants to be in terms of comedy, nor how much it wants to reference the original in lieu of staking its own claim on sitcom mediocrity. You mentioned that your wife sometimes will be in her phone during shows. There's nothing more frustrating for me than when I want my wife to be watching something and she's just in her phone. Like, yeah. do you? will you just sit there and, and sulk or will you actually say something of like, honey, like, I really, I think you'll like this. Like, I don't know. It's, it's a weird tension sometimes when I want my wife to be watching something and she's on her phone. Yeah, listen, if it's something I know she's not interested in, then it's okay, right? Like if we're watching sports, I'm not going to say you're going to see this play. But to your point, right. I think you're saying, hey, it's a show. Let's watch it together. If we make a point right. of saying, let's First watch it together. Like, there's right. a lot of stuff happening here. Like, right. come on, let's, let's and watch And you're blatantly this. not paying attention. Yeah, I, I think you're right. <laughs> if it's the first episode, you're not paying attention. Like, hey, listen, you have to watch this. Like, we have to see it. But by now, like, I'm putting it on to put it on. And if she doesn't want to watch it, I don't blame her. It's never you know, my passive aggressive move is, is yeah. if I feel like my wife isn't paying attention to something enough, I'll just pause the show and kind of sit there. And it'll take her like eight seconds because she's in her phone to even realize it's paused. And then she'll just like look over and I'll just be like looking at her like. Yeah, see, that's a smart move. That is like a it's just kind of like I'm sitting there like, I, like I've been sitting here 15 seconds. Like I, I, I'm waiting till you're ready so you can watch the show. Like I don't want you to miss this. Like I like that. Like, I'm, like I'm, I'm helping you like out. It. But you're calling, <laughs> yeah. attention. you're calling attention to it. I like it. Um, <laughs> I forgot to mention off the top, Mark Ellis is going to join us of Rotten Tomatoes. The guy's fantastic. Great voice. We've had him on the pod before. Really smart. Really funny. He's going to help us break down the Super Bowl commercials because yes. obviously the commercials come out and really not all the commercials, but more of the movie theme, which trailers premiered, some of his Oscar thoughts. So Mark is coming up. A couple more reviews before we get to that, though. Clean and Sober. Who doesn't love Michael Keaton? Speaking of, uh, we're going to talk to him about the ad where you saw Michael Keaton as the Flash back as Batman. But in honor of two Leslie, starring Andrew Riseborough as an addict. And by the way, uh, I think it was Gentleman Frank who messaged me. He said, hey, don't sleep on uh, you know, some of the great addict movies of the past. Well, listen, we, we can do our, our Mount Rushmore of drug addicts and alcoholics another time, perhaps. But, but Ray Milan is obviously at the head of that list. And obviously Nicolas Cage leaving Las Vegas and a few others. But in this instance, I remember... I was like 10 years old, so I didn't watch the movie, but I remember thinking, oh, hey, I love Michael Keaton. What's this all about? A hustling drug addict checks himself into rehab to escape trouble with the law and realizes it's exactly what he needs. It's directed by Glenn Gordon Caron. It's written by Todd Carroll. Obviously, I wasn't allowed to watch because it was rated R, but going back and seeing it now, 35th anniversary of this Michael Keaton film where he really was trying to stretch. So you look back at his career, he does Mr. Mom. Batman was the year after. He's already known as like a comedic talent. He wants to stretch and show himself in his dramatic chops, and it's an excellent performance. It's really helpful to watch because Dope Sick, which he won every major award, deservedly so, which was all about um, you know the, the opioid epidemic right now, and he was very public with the fact his nephew died due to opioids overdose. So it's it's a subject which is really important, I think, to Michael Keaton as a... As a human and as an actor, it really just gives him ripe material. Because in Dope Sick, and I'm sure you've seen it by now, the miniseries on Hulu, he plays a doctor who ends up giving out the opioids and ends up being addicted. So in this instance, it's interesting to see Michael Keaton as a young man playing an addict. And the story just, I mean, it's gangbusters from the beginning. He, he wakes up, he's with a model who's dead, calls the cops. Okay, I'm not sure what happened. We were doing some coke, whatever. Uh, you could be in some trouble here. Okay. He, you then find out he's embezzling money from his company. That's a problem. But then he quickly realizes, oh, if I go to, I mean, kind of quick thinking here because he realizes the cops are zeroing in on him. This is 10 minutes into the movie. If I check into a rehab place, they can't arrest me. I've got a drug problem. Okay, fine. Even though he, of course, has no issue with the drugs. He does not want to stop being a drug addict. He just doesn't want to go to prison. Goes there, 
meets Morgan Freeman. Stunned Morgan Freeman's the movie, playing a drug counselor. Be honest, kind of a thankless role. I was expecting more from Morgan Freeman. Again, this was early in his career, 1988, so this is around Lean On Me and the rest of it, but it's a fairly small role for him, but he's a guy who's not going to take any of Daryl Pointer's crap. That's Keaton's character. Um, so he kind of just lays down the law, and Keaton keeps trying to you know, escape to his office, make some phone calls, trying to get some drugs smuggled in. But it really kind of follows the tenets of, of what you know, rehab is all about, which is, you know, it's one day at a time, hour at a time, second by second. What brought you to the session? Going through group therapy, exercising. But of course, Keaton wants nothing to do with it. So the second he can get out of there, he does. But then he realizes when he goes back to his place, the model who was found dead, her father's now put up like signs everywhere saying like, oh, Daryl Pointer killed my daughter. He gave her drugs. He's like, oh my God, I got to go back to the rehab place. <laughs> so you have a situation where a guy, and this often happens, I'm sure, with, with uh, addicts, you're, you're relapsing and you're trying to get get better at the same time you can't get back so I thought it was really true to form in terms of what addicts go through Keaton I thought gave an excellent performance I'm glad I finally saw the movie 35 years later if you're a Keaton fan you'll enjoy it I wish the movie was as good as Keaton's performance particularly the last 40 minutes gets awfully terrible uh, Kathy Baker plays one of the addicts who he falls in love with they meet a couple of times after being released from the rehab place but she's still with her husband, who is a blatant addict, who's just you know getting getting high and getting drunk in front of them when he goes over to the house, and then now she's using with him as well. There's a horrible. I mean, the last ten minutes is just terrible. It goes it goes very very awry in a bad way. But I think that's true of kind of some '80s movies. They try to get a little bit more sentimental and they try to kind of slap a, a happy ending on things. But I thought for much of the movie, Clean and Sober was worth watching, particularly for Keaton's performance. And it, like I said, I just saw Two Leslie, which I thought was a really uh, excellent portrait of an alcoholic, so I would check it out. A couple of reviews for you. Roger Ebert, Chicago Sun-Times. One of the strengths Michael Keaton brings to Clean and Sober is his wild, tumultuous energy, which makes his character seem less like a victim than like an accident causing itself to happen. Great blur from Ebert. Well done. Alex Sandal of Juicy's Cerebellum. It would take at least six stiff drinks to make this film entertaining. Ouch. <laughs> I, 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 it's definitely not the most entertaining film in the movie, but I mean, you know, it is what it is. Six seems like a lot. That's yeah, a lot. One more review we'll squeeze in, then we're getting to Mark. As I mentioned, Oscars are a month away, so I'm trying to watch all the Oscar-nominated documentaries. Shame on the fact two of these are not available anywhere. I went to just watch. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is not available for streaming anywhere. I can't find a movie theater in New Jersey that's playing it, so I literally have to see this documentary somewhere. Someone please help. Tweet me. Send me a free link. Do what you got to do. In the meantime, though, I watched the third of the five nominated, which is called All That Breathes. It came available on HBO Max as of February 7th and on regular HBO as well. Here's a story for you. Amidst the darkening backdrop of Delhi's apocalypse, apocalyptic air and escalating violence. Two brothers devote their lives to protect one casualty of the turbulent times, the bird known as the black kite. So definitely an unusual story. As I've said before, when it comes to documentaries, either they take a big topic, right? It's like Davis Guggenheim's documentary, Inconvenient Truth, Al Gore, Global Warming, let's go. Or it's something peculiar, Searching for Sugar Man, won an Oscar, a documentary I know that Scott Van Pelt liked a lot. Or it's just something strange, which are the documentaries I generally seem to appreciate. Capturing the Freedmans is one of my favorites. Man on Wire is outstanding. So this one goes in that quirky category. I don't even know how the hell they found this story. Like, I don't know how the, the filmmaker was like, oh, there's these two Indian guys, they're brothers, and they rescue birds and look after them. I wish it was a better documentary. It's definitely a curiosity, and I have great respect for anybody who takes care of animals and dedicates their lives towards it. But, I mean, for 90 minutes, it just wasn't something that held my attention. Ultimately, I just... 
I think it's an interesting vocation, the fact they want to look after birds, but it wasn't really have a strong narrative push. It didn't make me care enough about the characters. Aside from looking at the squalor and poverty of India, it wasn't enough for me. I mean, we talked with, with Joshua last week about Stranger at the Gate, why it was a short rather than a feature. And he goes, you know, sometimes I think too many documentaries are too long. It's better if they're short. I'm with him on that. All That Breeze, I think, would have been a great short. If it was a 25 minutes, I would have liked it a lot. 90 minutes, I thought it was too long. Disappointing it's nominated for Best Documentary Film. A couple of reviews for you. K. Austin Collins of Rolling Stone. It occasionally strains. Occasionally. But the basic conflict at play between the selflessness of these medics, the growing need for their work, and the utter folly of this mission gives it all an urgent undercurrent. I did not feel that urgency. Robert Abel of LA Times. Maybe the most beautifully realized documentary in recent memory. It is beautiful to look at. Again, if you're a bird watcher, you'll appreciate the birds and what they're doing. And I mean, it's, it's sad seeing them all kind of fall down. Brian Tallarico, All That Breeze blends a veritable style character study with gorgeous nature cinematography while never losing the film's overall commentary on how man interacts with nature. Yes, it is man versus nature, or in this case, man helping nature. To recap, Tulsa King, two maple leaves. Night Court, one and a half maple leaves. Clean and Sober, three maple leaves. And All That Breeze, two maple leaves. That's your review. Views. Now it's time for Mark Ellis. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a real pleasure to bring back here to Cinephile our friend Mark Ellis. He's been on Cinephile before. He's great. He's the editor and host at Rotten Tomatoes, including the top-rated weekly podcast, Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, actor, comedian. He's hosted tons of shows, and he's going to help us break down the Super Bowl film trailers and commercials. As I was just telling Mark off, I'm an Eagles fan. He's a Commanders fan, so we are, we are NFC East foes, but uh, on this night at least, we just, we're both suffering from a homes mania. That, that was... It was tough to watch as an Eagles fan. As a Commanders fan, you couldn't have been cheering for Philly. Maybe a little bit cheering for KC? Well, look, we're all recovering from something this morning, aren't we? Either a devastating <laughs> loss or too many chicken wings. But I was pulling for Philly because my mom's side of the family is from Philly, New Jersey. Nice. But more importantly, to my Commanders love, we beat y'all on Monday Night Football. So mm. I it, like if I can't win the Super Bowl or even get in the playoffs, I at least want to have beat the team <laughs> yes. that did go to the Super Bowl. So I was really pulling for y'all. I do have a couple of Commanders fans who did point that out. Hey, you guys might win the Super Bowl. We did beat you. I'm like, that. that is kind of shocking that we lost to Washington of all teams in this season. Um, that was our Super Bowl. About, it was your Super Bowl to beat the Eagles. Uh, let's talk about the commercials last night, which are always such a big attraction. As I've said before in their podcast, I'm sure you would agree, who doesn't love Michael Keaton? I mean, we've heard about The Flash for a while, but as soon as I got to see the trailer of him back as Batman, and as a friend of mine texted me because he knows how much I love Michael Shannon, he goes, hey, don't sleep on the fact Michael Shannon's playing Zod. I'm like, that's true. Between Keaton and Zod, I, I can't wait for The Flash. I thought it was a hell of a trailer. What'd you think? Don't sleep on Zod, baby. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> like you're talking about football, and sure, we want to talk about the star quarterback, but special teams plays a big role in whether you're going to win or lose. Zod is that person, but yeah, I mean, the headline 
is clearly Michael Keaton back as Batman and not just back as Batman in a cool cameo. This isn't just him popping in and saying hi. He's in the movie as is Ben Affleck's version of Bruce Wayne. So if you went on the line, watch the full trailer, as all these ads encourage you to do as soon as they ended during the telecast, you got to see more footage of the, the Batman from Michael Keaton, the Batmobile, the Batcave, all of these things that we loved from 1989 that really gave a jump start to comic book movies in general. So now we're going back to the well one more time. And it seems from social media reaction, fans are ready for it. Yeah, I think people were like, oh, my God, wait, what? Like, it's, it's sometimes you hear about these things, you forget about these things, and they happen. And, and I think there's going to be lots of excitement for good reason. As you mentioned, the fact that you've got Affleck in there as well. What do you think of Affleck's commercial? Pretty early on, him and J-Lo, he's working the, uh, the Dunkin' Donuts there in Medford, Massachusetts. I mean, it was the most congenial we've seen J-Lo and Ben Affleck in public in some time. So I thought it was nice. And, and, and it really was a funny commercial. I don't know when it was filmed, but it did look like a, a lot of those people were genuinely surprised to see Ben Affleck there. So I, I thought that was a cute commercial. Yeah, I used to always love when Letterman used to do that stuff. You work on the drive through and purposely screwing things up like that. Um, as far as other movies and commercials, I mean, a lot of hype right now for Super Mario Brothers. I know people are talking about that movie. Did we get to hear Chris Pratt's voice? I can't remember now while watching the commercial last night. We've eventually heard Chris Pratt's voice. They didn't lean on it last night. It's not a selling point of the marketing thus far, but there has been an extended trailer that came out online where you do get to hear a little bit more of his Mario, a little bit more of his wahoo, that sort of thing. <laughs> so it's not going to make anyone confused with either the video games or a genuine Italian plumber but it is going to be a fun movie and Bowser you know we talk about Michael Keaton being the selling point of the Flash movie Bowser and Jack Black's iteration of that looks like a lot of fun is going to be had with this flick yeah, my young guys, they love they love Bowser, man. Who doesn't love a good dinosaur playing a bag? Bowser's Fury, a very strong popular pick right now on uh, the Nintendo Switch. Um, did the Barbie trailer happen last night? Did I miss it? I may have been flipping around. The Barbie trailer was like my dark horse pick, like my, you know, you have a couple of lead pipe locks and then you're like, oh, this could happen. Barbie did not end up getting a slot during the Super Bowl last night, but I still think it's one of those films that's highly anticipated. You have two huge stars with Margot Robbie and Ryan Gosling, and it's just a fun premise. So that first trailer did a long way to sell the public on that movie. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. Like you said, with that kind of cast involved, and we know Greta Gerwig, her pedigree, I mean, that's it's one of those movies that you think could be not only a big popular smash and also very popular on social media, but also with the critics. I mean, if, if you can stick the landing with something like Barbie, that could be a real triple threat, right? Yeah, if you can spoof it enough, but also stay true to the source material, like if yeah. you can please the kids, but you can also show the parents like, hey, we're having fun with you, too. It's what great animation does. That's why the Toy Story movies and Pixar in general are so successful, because they entertain every audience member that walks in there. I think Barbie's got a good shot at doing the same. Especially with Philadelphia playing last night, we know about the lineage to Rocky Balboa and Creed. Creed 3, Michael B. Jordan's directorial debut. What's the buzz like for that one? Adnan, I'm going to give you some buzz right now because I know you're a Philly guy. You pull for the Eagles. Well, guess what? You got something to root for. <laughs> Creed 3 has been seen by the person talking right now. I can't nice. say too much about it, more than a social media reaction. But I will say that the trailer that you saw last night at the Super Bowl does a great job at telling you exactly what this movie is, what you're in store for, the scope the size, not just of Jonathan Majors, by the way, because yes. he is 
huge in this movie and he's a looming presence throughout and then you have michael b jordan working with the family trying to get to his next steps of his career but then he's got his past always coming to haunt him there's noticeable absence by a certain stallion from italy <laughs> slash philly <laughs> that you don't see in this movie because of rights issues but it really doesn't detract from the story they're telling and just watching that trailer last night you are in for some amazing boxing sequences. Well, I can't wait. I know I can't wait for Jonathan Majors in Magazine Dreams. I know you heard about the film from Sundance where he plays a bodybuilder. So when you mentioned he's massive, I know he got big for that role. But the fact he's all chiseled up for this one, I mean, he's, he's certainly an actor to watch. And obviously, Michael B. Jordan's reputation precedes him. Okay, can't wait for that. Ant-Man's coming out this Friday. Have you seen that yet? What can you tell us about that? My kids can't wait. We're going to go see it Saturday. Speaking of Jonathan Majors, yeah, I hear he has a gym membership. He plays <laughs> Kang here. He's the new big bad in the MCU. And that's the prime selling point for this movie. I think for MCU hardcore fans, where Marvel fans, we're always looking for that. Who's going to be that next villain? Who's going to take over for that Thanos role? We thought, oh, is it maybe Namor? But now maybe Namor's teaming up in a good way. So then you have Kang entering the picture. But you also have Phase 5 kicking off with Ant-Man. And I think that the first three phases of the Marvel Cinematic Universe were like the best party you've ever been to in Vegas. Phase uh -huh. 4 was the breakfast the next morning when you're a little hungover and trying to piece together exactly what just happened and where do we go from here? Ant-Man kicking off phase five is like, I think evening is set and we're back to partying again. This is a fun adventure <laughs> for the whole family. It's a very family type event. You have three different generations that are all into the quantum realm with this movie. And so it opens a lot of doors for future storytelling and it didn't need the multiverse to get us there. So it's a really impressive feat. Get small, get tiny and get excited because Ant-Man and the Wasp on mania great way to kick off phase five and inject some fresh energy into the mcu that's a good tag get small get excited get <laughs> tiny let's go <laughs> we're bigger is better ant-man goes the other way i'm really looking forward to that harrison ford i can't believe mark he's indiana jones again but i thought the trailer looked great the trailer for indiana jones and the dial of destiny is stupendous and a lot of folks are harping on the de-aging that we're doing with indy because there's scenes in that trailer where it looks like you're looking at harrison ford from 1984 when temple of doom came out so mm -hmm. you look at this movie and how excited people are yeah for the younger indy but you also get a more grizzled indiana jones who has one more adventure in him but i also think this is harrison ford's fastball saying i still got this after kingdom of the crystal skull was so divisive now look crystal skull is still 78 percent on the tomato Meter. So it's got a fresh rating. I'm not sure a lot of fans agree with that, but Dial Destiny looks like it's worthy of the first three Indiana Jones movies. Yeah, it's amazing to think about the fact that it's just Indiana Ford. I mean, Harrison Ford, he's still cranking him out. He's now on television, obviously. He's uh, got another show with Jason Siegel. So it's uh, busy, definitely in that Taylor Sheridan world, and obviously very busy at the multiplexes as well. It's interesting now because you kind of get that sense all right, the Oscars are still coming, kind of take a breath. People are still catching up on Oscar movies, but you start to see some of these tent pole pictures. So, regardless of what we saw last night, Give me a couple of films that you said, you know what, I just can't wait. For me, Killers of the Flower Moon, I can't wait, obviously. Scorsese's film's going to debut at Cannes. I can't wait for Oppenheimer, obviously, Christopher Nolan coming out in July. What's two or three for you? You go, you know what, honestly, dude, I can't wait for these to come out. Well, you hit the nail on the head with Oppenheimer. That's a movie that I just, every time they ran a trailer for it during like playoff games leading up to it, I think even fans of the Bengals or the Chiefs or whatever game was on felt more tension during that 30 seconds because, <laughs> oh my God, this thing is selling itself. Christopher Nolan apparently detonated an actual device somewhere. I mean, the, the making of this movie deserves its own documentary. Like you said, Scorsese coming back. And then we also have 
Aquaman 2 coming way later this year. And that's something that I think a lot of folks are going to be excited about. Plus, with the MCU, as we did see a trailer for last night, Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yes. James Gunn working in both worlds now and really being a boon for the MCU and the new DC universe. So there's more connective tissue than ever before between these two comic book titans. And I think that's going to make quality entertainment for everyone this summer. Thank you for mentioning Guardians of the Three, because that was definitely something my kids all ran over to watch and check that out. That's coming out in May, I believe, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, that's obviously going to be a huge hit as well. Oscars are right around the corner. I know Rotten Tomatoes is all over everything. I'm pretty good. Like I've seen all the major nominees as far as the acting categories, picture, director. I'm a little bit annoyed. There's two documentaries I'm still missing. I had to check on Rotten Tomatoes to see where they were. All the Beauty and the Bloodshed is not on HBO Max yet, hopefully streaming at some point before March 12th. Um, and another documentary as well. There's another one I haven't seen yet. All That Breathes I just saw, which is on HBO, and I've seen Navalny, which is fantastic. But how is your Oscar viewing? Do you feel, are you ready to go for March 12th? Have you seen everything that you need to see? I am ready to rock, man. And I'm really excited about some of these tight races because Best Actor and Best Actress could come down to the wire, as could Best Picture. It's really tough to gauge who's going to win now. Do you go with the more populist entertainment with Top Gun Maverick, which is getting a lot of buzz, could even win Best Picture? Then you also have something like Everything Everywhere All at Once that just blew people away. Such an original version of telling a story. Top Gun Maverick, 96% of the tomato meter. Everything Everywhere All at Once, 95% on the tomato meter. I think I think those are the two to keep an eye on, but don't sleep on All Quiet on the Western Front. It virtually nice. came out of nowhere. Netflix wasn't even sure to put a campaign behind it. And then it started getting nominated in a lot of categories, winning other award shows. I don't think it's in line for Best Picture, but I think you're going to hear that title called More Than Once come March 12th. I love that pick. I mean, my biggest shock, the Oscar nominations was to Leslie. Like many people, I have this tiny indie movie, somehow Riseboro gets a nomination. I know it's been controversial, but I've seen the film and she was tremendous. So I'm like, listen, I don't care how much campaigning they had to do. She is worthy of a nomination. It's a hell of a performance. I wish Danielle Deadweiler was nominated for Till. I would have had her ahead of Anna Diarmas, but this is the this is the, this is is the the life we've chosen, as they say in The Godfather. But I'm with you as far as the races. <laughs> I think Best Actress is a toss-up with Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh. I think Actor, I mean, I, I love The Whale Person, but it hasn't gotten a lot of buzz to so Maybe Farrell has the inside track. Maybe Butler for Elvis. And I'm with you on Best Picture. I mean, there's some big-time popular movies. And like you said, they score high on the Rotten Tomatoes meter. I mean, whether it's Top Gun, whether it's Avatar, everything ever all at once. I keep telling people it's an indie. Made over $100 million. That's a big hit for A24. Yeah, and I keep telling people that's a movie you got to focus on. That's not one you put on at home and then you're playing around on your cell phone or you're eating snacks. You have to sit down and really pay attention to that movie and you'll be that much more rewarded. I'm so glad you brought up Austin Butler, too, because don't count Elvis out of winning it all on March 12th, because I think that could be a Dark Horse Best picture winner. It was nominated, and I think yeah. that he is one of the front runners. It's between him and Brendan Fraser, like you said. I try not to root for anyone during these things, but I look, I'm an Encino man boy, okay? <laughs> I saw Encino man when I was in sixth grade, so I got to pull for my guy, Brendan Fraser. Folks love him from The Mummy, and I'm like, yeah. I got nostalgia seven years before The Mummy came out, son. <laughs> I'm with you. I love Gods and Monsters, too, that great indie film that Ian McKellen. He's been a good actor for a long time, and you're right. If you're just looking at the personal story, I mean, God, how could you not be thrilled if uh, George of the Jungle goes up there and wins an Academy Award? <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I do think it was a hell of a performance. I love Aronofsky as well. Uh, last one for you, director, because I, I think it's the Daniels, but then a part of me says don't sleep on Spielberg. How do you see it? You can never count Steven Spielberg out. If he's nominated, he's a threat because he made a movie, The Fablemans, that is so close to his own journey. And Hollywood loves rewarding itself. So how better to do that this year than by saying thank you, Steven Spielberg, for everything you've given us and for this movie that taught us more about you. 
but you're right. I would still say that Daniels could be in the front seat for everything, everywhere, all at once. It was just such an incredible film on not a lot of money put behind it. And I think that that is just slightly pulling ahead of Steven Spielberg. But, you know, he got so close so many times with Best Director and didn't take home the prize, including with West Side Story. So sometimes you have these makeup calls that could happen. And I think that a lot of voters are going to be voting for Angela Bassett, not just because she was great in Black Panther Wakanda Forever, but also because they know they missed the boat three decades ago with what's love got to do do with it, where everybody thinks she won. She was nominated. She did not win for that movie. And I think maybe this is the three decades too late vote for Angela Bassett, but well-deserved. You're hundred percent right. I did double check. I'm like, I don't think she won. She was nominated. Fishman was nominated actor. They're both tremendous, but that year they came out in 1993 that we're not winners and hopefully win now. And as you know, would be the first win for an actor from a Marvel movie, which is a hell of a thing to think about that someone, you know, these movies are mainly technical spectacles, but to actually win an Academy Award for an actor would be awesome for Angela Bassett. And I'm with you. I, I do think she's going to win. Uh, Mark Ellis does a fantastic job. We've had him here previously on the podcast. As I mentioned, uh, you can always listen to his stuff on Rotten Tomatoes. The top rated weekly podcast is called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Uh, hopefully at some point I'm going to get on Rotten Tomatoes. We, the last time we had Mark on, you told me there's a way to do it. And then we... We, we made some headway, but then I don't know. One of your people messaged me and goes, no, it's not going to happen. So I'm, I'm going to keep I'm going to keep pushing. I know you will push for us. Cinefi- we don't want to be top critic. We just want to be on the Rotten Tomatoes site at some point. I know you'll make it happen. You just want to be on the team. You are the Vince Papali of Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> we, we just want to get you on the squad, and I will do everything I can behind the scenes, throw some coal in that fire. But look, I'll tell you this, and I'll tell all Philly fans this. Spring training is right around the corner, yes. and the Philadelphia Phillies looking mighty good coming into this season. That is true. Made the World Series just a season ago. I'm glad you're rooting, at least with your mom's family on the, on the Philly side there as well. Mark Ellis, the rare guest who has a better voice than me. Uh, he does a fantastic <laughs> job once again. Mark, kudos, buddy. Good to see you again. I appreciate you. Take care, brother. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> you're a great sport, man. The commanders were in this situation. I just, I would still be outside walking the dog wondering what's happening with my life. So uh, you're, uh, you're a good sport for rebounding so quick. Oh, man. It's just... I remember before Philly won, I used to tell myself, I'm like, I don't know if I hate the Cowboys and Giants more, or I love the Eagles more. And then when my team won, I'm like, no, no, it's more important that they win. But it's funny, last time I was like, as painful as that is, I'm like, it's more painful if like I woke up today and the Cowboys had won the Super Bowl. I could be at my wedding someday and thinking, do I love this woman more than I hate the Cowboys? I'm not <laughs> sure. I, I really hate that team. <laughs> All right, thanks once again to Mark. The guy's awesome. Really appreciate his insight. Make sure you check out his work on Rotten Tomatoes, which is the website to check out if you are a movie fan. Coming up next week, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania. Paul Rudd back in theaters, going small and going big. Until then, I'll see you at the movies. Movies.